go. I wish my voice was that deep. It could cause that kind of rumble at camp. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you would, open to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Um, excited to be with you this morning. This is uh, been looking forward to this for a while now. Um, Fudd and I were talking about different uh, preaching schedules and stuff, and uh, here this week and the next couple weeks to preach. So, really looking forward to it. Glad that you're here uh, this morning. <clears throat> Uh, we're going to bend the journey rules just a little bit. Is that okay? I'm not going to break them. We're just going to bend them a little bit. Uh, and what I mean by that, if, you, if, you've, if you've been here with us this year, uh, or even if you haven't, uh, just we're, we're doing this thing called the journey. We talk about it every week. And what it is, it's a Bible reading plan. We're reading through the Bible in the year as a church. And the goal and the desire of that would be that we as a body would spend a year immersing ourselves in the Word. Really immersing ourselves in the, the width and the breadth of Scripture, the, all of it, that we would be there together. That we wouldn't just say, all right, this year make it your plan to personally read the Bible in a year. Go do that on your own and we'll do something else. We, we said this year as a church we want to do this all together. And so we said we're just going to be all-encompassing. Sunday morning, community groups, personal time, all of this together. All of us on this journey together through God's Word. Um, and I know that as we, as we talk about it, preach on it, think on it, discuss it, get together, let it kind of just overwhelm us, it's, it's a good thing and it pushes us forward. And man, there were just stories of, of conversations and things that were happening, especially in the beginning of the year as we were doing this together. And really over the past couple of months, a lot of us... Um, have kind of waned in our excitement or waned in, in our, our, our perseverance in walking through the journey. Um, you know, it, it could be that it was just harder than you thought it would be. Uh, it could be that, man, you're just not used to reading four sections of Scripture six days a week and it just kind of got away from you. And now you're three, four seven weeks behind, and you're like, well, I could never catch up, so I just need to just stop. Or maybe it's means you just got so much stuff going on every day. There's so much clamoring for your attention and not bad things. You, you know, maybe you're a mom and you've got kids and dishes and laundry and vacuuming and grocery shopping and everything else that you're trying to do every moment of every day and it just feels like it's just too much or, or you're going to work and you got projects and you got this or you were in school and you had this, that and the other and those things are not bad but it's just so crowded everything else out of your life that it just kind of got you to the point where you're just like, I'm just so far behind, I'm just going to come on Sunday mornings and pretend that I'm still doing it. I don't know if that was an amen or a, oh my goodness. So, um, or maybe it's just none of that. Maybe it's that you started at the beginning of the year and you're like, I'm going to do this. I've never read the Bible in a year before. Man, I'm going to read these books that I can't even pronounce very good, full of people who I can't even pronounce in a world I've never been to, and things just sound just so foreign. And I'm going to get in there, and you tried it for a few weeks or maybe a month or so, and what you found was you just opened the Bible, and you're just like, all I'm doing is reading words. All I'm doing is just like, I, don't, like, I have no idea why the Levitical sacrifices have anything to do with me whatsoever. And these smart people seem to be able to read it and get something out of it. But I just can't. I, I just don't. And so what's the point? Why, why even try? Now, I know that's not everybody, but what I want to say this morning is if, if any of that is you, here's what I want to say. I'm with you. 
I'm with you. My job this morning is not to come up here and say, well, if that's you, what you need to do is you need to get back on the wagon, loser. It's not my point. Here's what I want to say. I get it. Because this year, I started off strong. I started off strong. I was loving it. I was excited about it. I was ready about it. And the things of life came in. And man, there's times I've just gotten behind and just wanted to give up. And, and really, even more than that, there's times I just open my Bible. And let me just, let me just, can I just be honest with you for a little bit? I've been to seminary. I've taken multiple Old Testament classes. I have taken three semesters of Hebrew that I forgot most of and all of this kind of stuff. And I open up these books of the Bible that I love and I'm reading it. And there's some mornings that I just open it and I read and there's words on that page. And that's about all that they are. And I close my Bible and I have to ask and I wonder, God, what, what was that for? Like, like God, God, what was that even for? Like, is, is this really even like, is this really even doing something for my soul right now? And, and I know that it is. There's, there's that part of me that I, I know that that's true. I know that it's God's word. I know that it's for me. But there's sometimes when I'm just like, am I really even getting anything out of this? Maybe it would be better if I just kind of stopped doing this and started doing something else. And, there, and, I, and I'm, so what I want to tell you this morning is that I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And what I want to do is I want to bend the rules a little bit this morning. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not straying from the journey. But what I'm doing is typically what we do on a Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, our sermons, if you hadn't figured this out yet, I'll, I'll kind of explain to you again how this works. But we read throughout the week. And then the sermon on Sunday morning is based on a passage that we read that week before. So typically what would happen is this morning, what I would do is because in the book, month of May, we're preaching through the Psalms section of what we're reading. I would have read, preached something between Psalm 113 and 118 because that was the section that we're supposed to read this week. Well, the way that I'm bending the rules is I'm actually going to preach from Psalm 112, which I know was the reading from the week before. But there's a reason why I want to do that. The reason why I want to do that is because something I read from Psalm 112 just rattled me and it grabbed me and it convicted me and it encouraged me and it challenged me and it really kind of provided just some fuel for my soul i was sitting at this tall table that's in our kitchen that just has two chairs it was early in the morning nobody else was awake i think i'd gone running that morning or something and then I came back and I sat down with a cup of coffee and I read through the end of 2nd Samuel and then I turned to Psalm 112 and when I read it in confession I was reading it on Monday morning because I was behind in my readings I read it and it just floored me and then I felt like God said share this with my people Share what I just did in your heart on Sunday morning. Because I'll be honest with you, I've been planning on preaching Psalm 113 for a very long time. And I've been studying it and getting ready for it. I felt like God said, share this. So that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm going to bend the rules. And I'm sorry if that bothers the legalist in the room, but there's grace for you as well. So we, just, just so you guys know, um, there was an issue with the soundboard. Um, and so all the settings got wiped. And so they're trying to fix some of that this morning. So there may be a little feedback issues. Uh, those are just things that we're going to try to overcome. So the loud humming, you know, 
just ignore it if you can. All right. So nobody's doing anything. Bob's doing a great job back there making sure all the stuff gets worked out. So y'all are the guinea pig. Second service will have it good. All right. So let's get it going. All right. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I, w- I want to pray. But before I pray, I do want to say one thing because there's, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a slight caveat. Um, typically what I would do if we have Psalm 112, what I would do is I would try to work through the entire psalm kind of show you the breadth of the psalm. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm really going to be focusing on verse 1 for the most part, okay? Uh, We're going to read it here in just a minute. We'll read it in its entirety, then I'll focus on verse 1. But I do want to give you this caveat. Um, I've already told you what I'm going to do is I'm going to share from you something that I learned on Monday morning when I was studying. Now, what I want to say is this. I want to give a disclaimer, okay? Every morning when I open my Bible, it's not like a sermon falls out. And what I'm going to share with you over the next however long was what I learned in my quiet time, Okay? Really what happened is God showed me these things and then I meditated and studied and read and did all this stuff over the next week. So what I don't want you to do is to get discouraged because you're like, well, whenever I read Psalm 112, I didn't see all of that. Do you see how much he saw in Psalm 112? That's just his daily quiet time, okay? Don't, don't go there, okay? Because I've heard people do that before. Like, well, I never got what you get out of there, so I just not even, no, don't do that. God gave me some things, and I meditated and studied and knew I had to preach a sermon on it. So, I mean, I, I really dove into this for this week. Um, but here's the other thing. Don't go the opposite extreme either, because you're never going to see stuff like this in the Scripture if you're not in it. You're never going to see it if you're not in it. And so sometimes people are like, well, I never see things like that. And sometimes the reason why is because they're just not in the Word. We'll come back to that at the end, but just hold on to that. So Psalm 112, what I want to do is I want to pray, and then we're going to read our text, and then we're going to jump right in. So that being said, let's, let's pray. Father, you are good and glorious, you're righteous, and you're wonderful. The heavens declare your glory, and the firmament displays your handiwork. All around us, we see intricacies and beauties and magnificences in creation. And when we stop and consider it, it causes us to stand in awe. And Lord, when we then turn to consider that you love us and that you speak to us and you have spoken to us in your word, It is a glorious and overwhelming thought. So, Father, right now, as we open your word, we, your people, whom you've redeemed, ask that you would speak to us. And where we are weak, we pray that you would provide strength. And where we lack wisdom, we pray that you would give wisdom. And where we lack motivation, we pray for motivation. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. 
It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will, not, he will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So this morning, we're we're really going to hone in, like I said, on verse 1. We read all of this this psalm. We want to kind of get the whole big picture. We're going to hone in on verse 1. And the way that I want to do this is I want to kind of walk you through basically the the format of kind of where I went as I was studying this and I saw this and God just kind of laid some things on me. That's what I want to do. I want to walk through that. And the way I'm going to do this, we're going to kind of ask three questions of the text and then we're going to kind of look for some answers for that um, and see how God uses us with that. So first thing we want to do is I want to ask is, what do I learn about the righteous in this passage? Because I asked this question after I read it. So I read the whole psalm and and then verse one grabbed me and I came back because I knew that if we saw the breadth of this song, it's it's talking about the righteous man, the blessed, the one who is upright. And so as I'm coming back to this, I'm saying, okay, what does verse one teach me about these, the righteous, these who are of the Lord, these who are loved by God, blessed by God. Who, what does it teach me about there? So I go back to verse one, and it starts out with that phrase, praise the Lord. Now, if you hear last week, Joe preached on Psalm 111, which begins, praise the Lord. These two Psalms are connected. We see it here, and we'll see it another place in a minute. So they they kind of serve as a unit who's right there. And the, what this does is this really helps ground us in the right place as we jump into this Psalm Because at first it may seem out of place. Praise the Lord, and then it goes through and starts talking about the righteous man. But what this does is it helps us to remember and keep our minds focused rightly so that all of this is from God. All of this is the working of God's hand. All of this is God's doing. If it were not, we would not praise the Lord. We would praise the righteous man. But the reason why we're praising the Lord is because of what he has done in the lives of the people who are right here given in the text. All of this is of the sovereign grace of God. And we've got to remember that. And the Holy Spirit so inspires the psalm writer that as he lays all of this out there, the first thing that he says is, praise the Lord. And when we see God so working in the lives of people as what's in this text, it does move us to praise because we understand what's going on here can only be done of God, can only be an act of God's grace and mercy. And so this grounds us as we move forward. And understanding this is not merely human working, human strength, human endeavoring. This is a work of God for which it is worthy of us saying, God, you are amazing that you you have done this. And so now, what do we learn? Well, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now, the word order here I think is important because 
couple of things. One, blessed is the man. If you remember when we started the journey, Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man. So there's a connection there all the way throughout the Psalms. But then also, if you remember way back when, when Fudd preached 700 sermons through the book of Matthew, we were in the Beatitudes. And you remember how Jesus begins the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you who? And so this this whole kind of phraseology that's there. And it's interesting, when they start with the word blessed, it's kind of an understanding that this is a description of the blessed, not necessarily this is the pathway to blessing. It guards us against saying, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what follows so that I will be blessed. Now, there, there is, and we'll see later a little bit, we'll work through this, that there is favor of God as we follow and are obedient. But what's happened here is we're describing the, oh, the blessings of this person. This person is blessed. Why are they blessed? Well, they fear the Lord. Look what it says. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now, what we find is this is the other connection to Psalm 110, because if you, I mean Psalm 111, because if you look at the end of Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And so you see how they just flow right into each other. One of the commentators actually said that Psalm 112 could be an exposition of Psalm 111, verse 10. So basically, Psalm 111, verse 10 could then be explained with Psalm 112. So they're, they're connected on purpose. The Spirit brought those together so that we would see these things. Now, in describing fear, Matthew Henry writes, their fear is not that which love casts out, referring to John, uh, 1 John 4, but that which love brings in. It follows and flows from love. It is a fear to offend. And it brings out the idea here, this, this man who fears the Lord is not somebody who's just, who's just trembling because they're worried at any moment God is going to strike them down or take away anything from them. This is a fear that comes from understanding the steadfast love of the Lord and the greatness of who he is. It is a fear, I never want to offend him. Oh, I want to please him. He is so great and wonderful. I'm afraid of even going anything that would be against him because I love him so. And so, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, and then who greatly delights in his commandments. Who greatly delights in his commandments. The word greatly here can be translated, translated vehemently. It's got some force to it. It's got some power to it. So, the, the blessed, the way that we see and understand what the blessed is, is the one who greatly delights in the commandments of God. And I got to be honest with you. That's what stopped me in my tracks. I've read all the other stuff before. I got that. I see that. Because I had to ask myself, do I greatly delight in God's commandments? I mean, I thought about it. I delight in my family. I delight in my wife. If you know me, you know that I delight in a good cup of coffee. I delight in playing disc golf. I delight in going out to my workshop and making something. 
But do I delight in God's commands? Because I really like reading the Bible and I really like studying about God. But my question is, do I delight in what God commands me to do? That's different. Spurgeon Spurgeon says this, the man not only studies the divine precepts and endeavors to observe them, but rejoices to do so. Holiness is his happiness. Devotion is his delight. Truth is his treasure. He rejoices in the precepts of godliness, yea, and delights greatly in them. This was the line. We have known hypocrites to rejoice in the doctrines, but never in the commandments. You see, sometimes I have found myself delighting in the things of God, but not being described as delighting in God's commands. So this kind of led me to my next question. Now, I want you to see where I'm going here. So I've read all of this, and God just put a wall down. And he said, stop. Look at this. Is this you? And I thought, man, it's, it's not always the case. And so, so I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I've, I've, I've trusted Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I know that no good works is going to get me to heaven. All my good works, as the Bible says, are as filthy rags. There's nothing I can do to make myself right before God. It's only what Christ has done for me. And so I trust that. And so I'm saying, I would say because of his righteousness and not my own, this should be a description of me, but I'm looking and saying it's not me. So I had to ask the second question. Why don't I delight as I should? Why don't I delight in God's commands as I should? You see, it's not always my regular response. There's times when it is. So like I see a command, praise the Lord. Man, I delight in that. Praise, yes. Praise the Lord. I delight in that. I want to praise God. I see who He is. I see His attributes. I see His glory. And yes, I delight in the command to praise God. That is good. Brings my soul great pleasure and joy. Or Hebrews 10, 25, when it says, Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. I delight in the command to meet together with you every week. That is good for me. I look forward to Sunday mornings. I love it. I delight in that command. But you know what? When I read something like Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can I just be honest with you? That command does not well up great delight and joy in my heart. To think about going and confronting somebody with something that they've done against me, that's not joyful. That's, that's fear and anger. And, and what are they going to say about me? What are they, that doesn't cause delight in my heart. And so I had to say, why, why doesn't that cause delight in my heart? And so I just said, Lord, what, what is it? And and really, there's, there's three things that I think for, for me and for all of us, which cause us to not delight in God's commands. First thing is this. His commandments confront our brokenness. And what I mean by that is that God's commandments expose our sin. 
And oftentimes it exposes sin that we didn't realize was there. Notice how Paul writes in Romans 7, verses 7 through 8. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. You see, what happens is when the commandment comes and God says, do this, sin responds the opposite way. If God's law says, don't covet, our sinfulness is exposed and says, but wait, I want that. I need that. I deserve that. And so sin rebels against the commandment of God and doesn't bring delight. And so what Paul says is as the commandments come to us, that sin that kind of remained latent or we didn't realize was sin or that it was right there under the surface almost, the, the commandment brings it to light. And so therefore, sometimes God's commands when they come in, I don't delight in them because they reveal my brokenness. They show me my sin. But also his commandments confront our idols. This is real similar to the first one, but, it, but it's different. <clears throat> An idol is anything other than God that is supreme in our life. Not necessarily a small statue sitting over in the corner, although it could be that. But it's something other than God that is supreme in our life. Paul says this in in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul wasn't telling them they need to put away their statues or stop going to the temples. He starts listing all of these things that are going on in their life. And he says, get rid of all of that because it is idolatry. And so when the commands come in, even this command that Paul would say, put to death what is, um, what is earthly in you, these things that he has exposed as idols, even though when those things are idols, when we are told that, That which has now become important to us is being ripped from our grasp. We don't like that. Augustine said that what we all suffer from is wrongly ordered loves. What he meant is this. We don't love supremely what should be loved supremely. We don't love God supremely. We love what God has given or what God has made or what God has done supremely over God. And so, therefore, if the things that God has given me, I love that more than God, I have now turned that into my idol and put it in the place of God. So what does that mean? Well, our idol may be a certain lifestyle. We like the way that we live. We like the things that we have. We may not think of it as an idol. We may still be really involved in church. We may still really be in a Bible study or whatever. But if this idol is our lifestyle... When we're confronted with the command to be giving and generous, our idol is threatened. We begin thinking, but if I do that, all of these things that I love so much are going to be taken from me. I won't be able to do it. And we push back against the command. Why? Because our idol is threatened. Or our idol may be control or respect And so when we're confronted with the command to be a servant, 
Our idol is threatened. God, you don't understand. If I do that, they're going to take advantage of me. Or I'm not going to be seen as in charge. Or they're not going to see me as my position should be. Or they're not going to have the respect for me that they should. And so, God, I can't do that. And what we find is that the idol of control or respect has been threatened. That God is going to rip it from our grasp. And we push back against it. We don't delight in the command. Or maybe our idol is the acceptance of others which is the one that, man, I struggle with so much. Because when we're confronted with the command to be holy or to share the gospel, we start understanding, well, if I'm going to be holy, I'm going to be different. And I'm not going to do the things that my friends do, or I'm not going to go to the places that they do, I'm not going to watch the TV shows that they do, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to talk the way that they do, or I'm not going to laugh at those jokes, or I'm not going to whatever the thing may be. And we start seeing that, and all of a sudden we know what the next step is. If I do that, then they aren't going to love me, or they aren't going to like me. And if that's the case, well, I can't share the gospel with them because they're going to think I'm a weirdo. And I, I would lose status in their eyes. And so because I can't do that, I'm going to push back against that command. I'm not going to love being holy because what that's going to do is it's going to remove this idol that's in my heart. And so what we find is that when our idols are threatened, we don't delight in God's commands. The third thing is this. His commandments confront our lack of faith. See, I think that the commandment to forgive is a really good example of this. So in Colossians 3, we read this command. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has complaint against one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Now let's just be honest. And I'm not going to make light of this. When we have been wronged by someone, most of us, the last thing we want to do is to forgive. Especially, there was no fault of our own. There was nothing that we did wrong. We may have done everything right. This person was sinful. It was unjust what they did. They deserve to punish, be punished, and they should be the one seeking forgiveness. And you know what? There's truth in that. But God's command calls us to be forgiving people. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. Not based on other stuff. That, that, that's, where, that's where it's rooted in. That's what Paul says. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And there's real hurt there. And there is real pain there and we were really sinned against and we were really wronged but the command is still the command and the reason why this is a lack of faith and I want to say this as lovingly as I can and I'm saying this even to my own heart the reason why there's a lack of faith is because we really don't believe God's ways are best we really don't believe God's ways are best because God is always for our good. God is always for his glory. God's, all of God's commands are for our good and for our, and for our righteousness and for our sanctification. And when we look and see God's commands, we say, but God, that's not right. 
God, you're doing something wrong. You're asking me to do something that they don't deserve. And so ultimately, there's a, there's a, there's a lack of faith that what God says is the way we should do it, is the way that is good, is the way that is right. And the pain and the hurt and all that has happened to us overshadows a real deep-seated bedrock through the storms, through the hardest things in life. It overshadows the trust in God's commands that He really is good, that He really does want our best, and He really does command us to do that which is for our good and His glory. It's a trust that he knows you and he knows your situation. A trust that he is not indifferent to your pain. And it's a trust that his ways are better than your ways. And when that confronts us, it is hard. It is hard. And so we don't delight. Can I, can I, react, can I just be honest with you? Like, I start looking at all this stuff and it's like, man, that's the hard stuff. Like, it's just despairing. Because, God, how do I do this? Because now I'm looking at it, I felt like I was doing pretty good, to be honest with you. I felt like, you know, half God's commands, three quarters God's commands. Man, I delight in those. They're good. And then I started, like, I started studying and started thinking about all these commands. And I was like, man, I don't delight in that one. I don't delight in that one. Gee whiz, I don't delight in that one. And it really just, I, I'm kind of saying it tongue in cheek, but, but really, I just kind of got to the point. It's like, God, is there any hope for me? Am I, am I really saved? I mean, am I really someone who's pursuing after righteousness? God, I don't see that this is really what my life is all about. And so then it led me to this last question. How do I pursue delight in God's commands? Because here's what I want to, here's what I want to leave with. And this is where God, God kind of took me down that path and just kind of to that low spot of conviction. And then God just kind of brought me out and just, oh, it was glorious. And I hope that this is glorious for you because there's a chance that some of you right now could be feeling it just like, oh man, that's just so hard. I don't think I can do it. I just not me. And maybe I'm not saved. And just, I'm hoping that God is now will take you where he took me because here's the hope. Here's the hope. Psalm 112.1 is not given to beat us over the head and show us there is no hope. It may take us down into the depths, but like a surgeon who comes in and tells you there's cancer, but then says, I'm going to operate and I'm going to take it out. God is coming in and he's saying there's a cancer in your soul and I'm going to take it out. Remember, This is the description of the righteous. This is what God is making us into. So I don't leave it with saying, well, why don't I do this? I leave it with saying, well, why don't I do this? But how do I pursue this? Where does it go? How do I get there? How do I become the man that this is the description of my life? That when I die, they could put on my tombstone. He greatly delighted in the commands of the Lord because that's what I want. So so how do I do this? And really there's three things. One, God's got to be preeminent in our lives. God has got to be the most important thing in our lives. We go back to Augustine. We have to get our loves in the right order. God must be our supreme love. Everything else that we delight in that he gives to us or that he's allowed us to experience in creation flows from him and we keep it in the right order. God must be preeminent. Remember Psalm 112 verse 1, how does it begin? Praise the Lord. So when we're left in despair, we look back to the Lord and said, God, I can't do this on my own. He says, yes, that's right. But in and through me, you can. And so we say, praise the Lord. 
I don't live this way, but God in his goodness is going to make me this way. God is first. Put the idols away. Repent of your sin. Turn and face him in all your ways. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. We have got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but a couple weeks ago, back the week, uh, it was actually a week before we read Psalm 112 in the journey, we were reading through 2 Corinthians. We got to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. And this is what Paul writes. And God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And so there in 2 Corinthians 9, what Paul is saying, he said, God is able to make grace abound to you. And then he quotes from the Old Testament and says, it's, as it's written, he's distributed freely. He's given gifts to the poor. So Paul says, this passage that I'm quoting is talking about God. Do you see where I'm going with this? Because if you look at Psalm 112, verse 9, it says, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Paul quotes Psalm 112, and he says, this is about God. Namely, Psalm 112 is about Jesus. Think about it. Jesus always feared the Lord rightly. He always delighted in God's commands. And we look through and we read all of Psalm 112, and he greatly fulfills it all. It is not merely about those who follow the Lord. It is ultimately about Jesus. Tim Keller, uh, in writing in his book on prayer, has a section on meditation, on meditating on the Word and how it drives us to prayer. And, and God, in his goodness, allowed me to read this this week as I was preparing. It just blew my mind because I was thinking about this. And here it comes. This is a quote from Keller. It says, How can anyone truly think intensely about the law of the Lord and not fall into despair? That's what we were talking about earlier. Not fall into despair. The answer is to look at the central figure of the entire written Word, the one who the Gospel of John calls the Word made flesh. Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression and communication of God. This will lead us how to look at Jesus himself regarded the scripture. You see, Psalm 112 is meant to point us to Jesus. We'll get to our living out of it, but first and foremost, it's meant to point us to Jesus. He's our example. He has done all of this. And not only has he done all of this, he has done all of this on our behalf. Keller, again, is helpful. He says, the written word and its law can be a delight because the incarnate word came and died for us, securing pardon for our sins and shortcomings before God's law. You can't delight in the law of the Lord without understanding Jesus' whole mission. Without him, the law is nothing but a curse, a condemnation, and a witness against us. He obeyed the law fully for us, so now it is a delight for us, not an everlasting despair. You see, because of the gospel, we don't despair. Yes, we see our sin. We see that which put Christ on the cross. We see that which remains in us that God is rooting out so that we are made more like Jesus. But we don't just look to Jesus as our example because like Keller said in another passage, if we just look to Jesus as our example, he will crush us. 
Because all it does is throw guilt on us because he obeyed it perfectly and we don't. So if he is merely our example, he is our example. But if he's merely our example, he just condemns us even more. But as one who has obeyed it on our behalf, he now has purchased us, has redeemed us, has adopted us into his family. And he says, I am daily making you like me. And as he is making us like him, we will find that our delight will be in the law of the Lord. And we will begin delighting more and more and more in the commands of God because he is making us more in practice what he's already declared us to be righteous in Christ. The third thing is this. Go to the word. We, and this is where I started in the beginning and I'm coming back to it now. We will never, I want to make an emphatic statement. You will never delight in the commands of God if you're not trying to read the commands of God. If you're not seeking the commands of God. If you are not trusting and meditating on the commands of God. You won't do it. God has given his word to us that he might use it to sanctify us and to make us more. And how do you know what commands to delight in if you're not even in the word? So what I want to do is I want to say, seek him. And you need to remember Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. That is the law of glory. And something we don't like to talk about so much because we're so worried about like legalism and prosperity gospel stuff. But Psalm 19.11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. See, sometimes we don't, we don't think about that. We, we kind of approach the commands of God as this, as this duty that like we, we can't think about any type. There's no, there's no reward. I'm just doing it because Christ has sent me. There's no, but no, the Bible tells us there's reward for our obedience. 1 Corinthians 3, our works will be judged on that day. We're going to be standing in front of Christ. Not our works, whether or not we're going to get into heaven, but what we've done for him. And we will be put through the fire. And if we've done nothing, we'll be left only with our salvation in Christ. But when we have worked through him, the Bible says there'll be stones and precious stones, a treasure. These are the rewards of Christ that go through the clearing off of everything else that anybody could see. And we're left there with this reward in Christ. This is a good thing. We're not working for the reward of heaven, whether or not we're going to get in. We're working for the reward of our good Savior who loves us and wants to be generous to us. You know, it's interesting so many times we think rewards. We are so small-minded, so small-minded that we would think that God would simply settle with giving us something earthly. How fickle are we that we would just think rewards, okay, that means money or health. Or, that is small. In the grand scheme of eternity, that is nothing. But you know what is? Jesus promised in John 14. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. God, do you get that? Do you get what Jesus said? If you love me, you're going to keep my word. And my Father will love him. 
and we will, this is, this is even more mind-boggling, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The God of the universe who spoke it all into existence, when he gives us his commands and we love him and we obey him, he says, you know what? Man, we're going to love you. We're going to come to you. God and Jesus coming to us. That is phenomenal. And so that is a fuel. When you come to those commands and they're hard, you don't want to obey them. You remember that Jesus' words said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. My Father will come to you and he'll love you and I will come to you and we will make our home with you. And God, that is so much better than anything else you could give me. So God, I want to be obedient just because of that. So here's what I want to say. I want to encourage you. Take what we've seen and act upon it. You know what? Whether you do the journey or not is not where you're going to get your reward. Okay, you get your reward if you do the journey. You don't get your reward if you don't do the journey. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I do want to say. We're not stopping the journey. We're doing this all the way. We're bought into this. We're doing this all the way to the end of the year. So here's what I want to encourage you with. Maybe you have just gotten overwhelmed with it. I'd like to invite you to come back to it. Don't feel like you've got to do the whole thing. Maybe just pick one section, a part of one of the sections. If you're just going to do that, pick the section we're going to be preaching on. Next week, we start a series called The Royal Lands. It'll be in First and Second Kings. So if you're like, man, I'm so far and I can never catch up. All right, the slate is clean. And if it's just too much for you or it's just way too much, then say, okay, just choose the section that we're going to be doing sermons on. Read it meditate on it. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask the Lord to prepare your heart. Come saying, God, I've I've been in this word and now I'm ready to hear from you what you would say to me. Be ready to discuss that with your community group. Maybe you've not done it. Maybe you're like, I can't jump in here at the uh, beginning of June. Yes, you can. Just jump right in. There's even some books right over here. If you don't even have a book, they're back there on the info table. You can pick one up and start right away. And if you're just like, man, I I can't do the journey. I cannot do the journey. Pick a book of the Bible. Start reading it a little bit every day. Why? Because as you're in God's Word, His Word comes to you. But the last thing I have to say, and I have to say this because I can't ignore it, because all of Psalm 112 is talking about the righteous except for verse 10. Verse 10 says, The wicked man sees it and is angry. Angry despises the commands of the Lord. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The the only other thing I would say is is, is if you're sitting here this morning and you just say, I have no desire at all to follow God's commands. I have no, I I just don't, I have no concern whatsoever. I want to ask you this morning, Have you truly seen the glory of the cross in what Christ has done for us? Maybe you've gone to church all of your life and you're like, I don't care anything about the Bible. I just come because that's what I'm supposed to do. Let me ask you, have you understood what Jesus has done for you and for me on the cross? He has given himself, bore the wrath of God, buried and then conquered sin and death, raised again, and now gives us life if we believe and trust in him. 
Don't let a despising of God's commands make you say, okay, well, I just need to start reading the Bible more. If you don't like it, let me say, have you turned your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Him? And if not, why not now? Because Christ is calling you. He wants to bless you. He wants there to be great reward in your life. Would you give Him your all, even today? We're going to go into a time of response. Maybe this is a time for you of confession. Maybe this is a time where you're going to sit and you're going to pray. And you're going to say, God, that resonated with me. I don't delight. I want to delight. Move my heart to delight, please, Lord. Maybe you do delight. Maybe what I was talking about today wasn't talking about you. And you say, I delight in God's commands. Well, let this be a time to praise the Lord. And whatever God is doing in your heart now, don't leave it in this room. Don't leave it in this room. Let it be something that moves you every day of this week, the month, year, and for the life to come. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. It is sometimes hard, but even the hardness is life-giving to us. So we thank you that you are not merely a God who tells us happy things, but confronts us where we're wrong and where we have turned against you so that we might turn around and come back towards you. Father, we love you. Pray that you move in our hearts to respond as the Spirit is placed upon us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we know.